Good evening. All right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Of course, I'm here, Danny Hai Fong, coming to you with the left lens. And we are here, of course, with co-host Margaret Kimberly. Hey, Margaret, how are you? I'm doing fine. Hi, Danny. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, so we have a, a very uh, special guest today. Um, mm -hmm. While you're here, make sure you like, subscribe, uh, like the video, help us with the algorithm because you will want as many people hearing our special guest, Abayomi Azakiwi. He is the editor of Pan-African Newswire, and he has been a revolutionary in the struggle against imperialism in Africa and worldwide uh, for quite some time. And, and he is here to join us. Uh, hi, Abiyumi. How are you doing? Doing fine. How are you all? Good, good. Thanks so much for, uh, for being with us. We've uh, been wanting to have a show dedicated to uh, African issues. And uh, because it's, uh, as you well know, it's a region that's not covered very often or very well, even when it does get coverage in uh, corporate media. Uh, this month of October is the 13th anniversary of the uh, beginnings of the U.S. Africa Command, AFRICOM. So uh, we want to uh, talk about that as well. Um, in the news lately, we, uh, uh, there's a story of um, Ethiopia and uh, Tigray and U.S. Uh, relations uh, with uh, the TPLF. There was a recent coup in Guinea. So, um, uh, and also I wanted to talk about the African Union and Israel being given this observer status and uh, what that's all about. So I know I mentioned several things. Uh, is there one that you want to start talking about? No, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> Tell us no, which, go, which which one do you want to deal with uh, first? Okay, we'll talk. Let's do Ethiopia. All right. Yeah. So tell us what's uh, what is the latest. There have been reports uh, over the last few days that the uh, Ethiopian National Defense Forces have launched a uh, another offensive against the uh, Tigray uh, People's Liberation Front. Uh, which is the organization uh, that has been in opposition to the government, uh, particularly over the last year. There was an outbreak of violence in early November of 2020. And as a result of that, uh, the Ethiopian Prime Minister, uh, Abiy Ahmed, ordered uh, Ethiopian Defense Forces to go and take control of the provincial government in Tigray. The uh, current government in Ethiopia, uh, the government of uh, President, uh, uh, government of Prime Minister Abiy uh, has just undergone elections and uh, he has been uh, inaugurated uh, as the Prime Minister. Uh, he has uh, not only people from the Prosperity Party, uh, which is uh, his party that was recently created in an effort to bring together uh, various uh, political organizations in all of the provinces throughout Ethiopia and uh, also he has uh, some opposition forces as well in his cabinet. Uh, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, if we recall, uh, over 30 years ago, was essentially installed uh, and given legitimacy uh, by the administration of President George uh, Bush uh, Sr. in 1991. Uh, Herman Cohen, who was uh, the Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, uh, participated in talks in London uh, with the um, rebel groups 
as well as the then uh, Workers' Party of Ethiopia government headed by Mengistu Haile Mariam. And after the talks did not result in any uh, conclusive resolution, uh, Cohen uh, held a press conference and said that the uh, EPRDF, uh, the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, which was headed by the TPLF, and at that time the um, Eritrean People's Liberation Front uh, was waging a war uh, for independence against the Ethiopian government. But Cohen uh, told the, um, the uh, EPRDF forces to move into uh, the capital of Addis Ababa. They were recognized by the United States. And for many years, they played a key role in U.S. Uh, military policy in the Horn of Africa as well as East Africa. Uh, we can recall uh, the uh, resistance against U.S. intervention in Somalia in 1993 and other um, U.S. adventures on the African continent, which uh, the previous government in Ethiopia participated in. So three and a half years ago, there was a national uprising there, which led to the collapse of the EPRDF uh, government and uh, the installation of uh, Prime Minister Ahmed Abi. And since that time, he has... Um, negotiated two peace treaties with uh, neighboring Eritrea, where the war had erupted again in uh, 1998 and 2000. And uh, also he's done other things, uh, trying to uh, open the uh, Grand Renaissance Dam project, which is a major development project that would benefit uh, North and East Africa along the Nile. Uh, he's tried to uh, unite all the different uh, political tendencies in Ethiopia through the Prosperity Party. But uh, he's been hampered uh, through U.S. policy. Um, there's a huge dispute between Egypt and Ethiopia over the GERD project. Uh, when Trump was in office, uh, he encouraged uh, the Egyptian government to bomb uh, the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam project uh, because no resolution could be reached. Well, they tried to impose a resolution and Ethiopia rejected it. So these are some of the... Um, factors that are influencing the situation now in Ethiopia. The U.S. has taken a very hostile position mm -hmm. towards the uh, Prosperity Party government. Uh, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who's the United Nations uh, representative for the United States, several weeks ago threatened uh, sanctions against the uh, Ethiopian leadership uh, if they did not uh, abide by uh, what the United States was dictating uh, in the Horn of Africa. Can you, t can you tell us... Um uh, about the role that the U.S. has. You've, you've gone into the uh, details about Ethiopia, but um, the U.S. plays, as it does I, everywhere else in the world, I believe, a very damaging role in, uh, in Africa. Um, and you just mentioned sanctions, which are used as war by other means in uh, Africa and uh, around the world. So there was a recent story about Ethiopian airlines being uh, um, uh, accused of uh, aiding in uh, human rights abuses. Tell, can you tell us about that? It was reported on CNN. Yes, and the Ethiopian Herald, uh, which is the uh, state-sponsored uh, newspaper, which has an English version that everyone can read, they have uh, denounced uh, this story uh, that it is provocative uh, it's in line with uh, efforts to isolate uh, the current government in Ethiopia. They claim uh, that the Ethiopian Airlines, which is a major uh, transportation uh, institution uh, in Africa 
and uh, also internationally, uh, which had worked closely, uh, you know, with the U.S. Uh, aviation industry. But uh, they're claiming that the, the private airlines, commercial airlines, were used uh, for the purpose of uh, transporting weapons. And there's no evidence to suggest this. And even if it was, uh, why would it be the concern of the administration of uh, Joe Biden in terms of the use of private capital or private aircraft or even state-sponsored aircraft uh, for another country's uh, particular needs. Well, that's always the issue with the U.S., isn't it? You know, what is yeah. America's business? So I'd like to hand off to uh, Danny if you'd uh, like to ask a question now. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, you and me, you know, you've done some writing on the situation in Guinea, and I, and I think it's very important because right. the coup leaders there uh, the military junta that just happened last month were actually trained in the United States. Can, can you talk about the coup in Guinea, the U.S.'s role in it, and uh, perhaps shed some light on how it relates to some broader regional issues because Mali, Niger, so many countries in this region that make up the, uh, you know, the ECOWAS states have been kind of subsumed under the thumb of U.S. imperialism. And if you could just describe that situation, that would be uh, incredible. A good guide uh, to understanding the role of the military and the police in uh, post-colonial Africa, uh, you could read uh, Kwame Nkrumah's book, Class Struggle in Africa. There are two chapters in the book uh, that deals uh, with the role of the military. Uh, many of the structures were inherited uh, from the colonial system. Even in countries like Guinea, uh, which uh, underwent a revolutionary process during the post-World War II period, uh, and with the rise of the Democratic Party of Guinea, the PDG, headed by um, the late uh, President Ahmed Secretary Ray, uh, they attempted to change uh, the economic and political dynamics uh, that were so pervasive uh, in post-colonial Africa. Guinea, uh, if you remember, uh, was the only country uh, in West Africa under French colonialism uh, which rejected a neo-colonial referendum in 1958 and uh, declared their own independence. Uh, they were the first country to do so uh, in the region. And this was at the same time that the uh, war was raging in Algeria uh, by the uh, National Liberation Front, the FLN, and the French government. So Guinea um, nationalized uh, industries. They uh, set up um, import uh, substitution uh, industries. They had close relations with uh, Kwame Nkrumah's Ghana and Modibo uh, Keita's uh, Mali. Uh, they were strong supporters of Patrice Lumumba during the short-lived uh, administration in 1960. And uh, they did a lot of other things uh, that were progressive. But uh, after Secretary Touré died in 1984, uh, the military took over and reversed uh, 27 years of his uh, administrative uh, policies. And since 1984, there have been successive uh, military regimes. And until 2010, uh, when the ousted president, Alpha Conde, who had been in opposition uh, to the PDG government for many years in France, who was promoted as a human rights advocate and uh, intellectual and a professor, uh, returned and uh, secured the elections in 2010. He served two terms. But then last year, he was supposed to uh, step down. Uh, nonetheless, he engineered 
a revision of the Constitution, which allowed him to run for a third time. This created turmoil inside the country. A lot of people turned against uh, his government. And uh, the result of it uh, has been this uh, usurpation of power uh, by uh, the so-called Committee for National Reconciliation and Development, um, headed uh, by uh, Mr. <laughs> Mamadi, uh, who, uh, as you mentioned, uh, has strong ties uh, with the French military. Uh, he was a part, and probably still is, of the French foreign leader, foreign, uh, foreign legion. Uh, he's married to a French woman who's a part of the uh, National uh, Gendarmerie, uh, the national police in France. And uh, he was participating, along with the other special forces in Guinea, in an AFRICOM operation uh, in Guinea during the time of the coup d'etat. And there were even U.S. military personnel photographed and videoed uh, in crowds uh, when the uh, coup d'etat uh, was underway uh, in uh, September. So they are heavily involved in penetrating uh, African military structures uh, under the guise of fighting terrorism and enhancing uh, national stability. Uh, but what they're actually doing is uh, creating uh, situations for greater instability. You mentioned Mali. Uh, there's been two uh, military coups there uh, just in the last uh, year and a half. Uh, prior to that, there was another coup in 2012. Uh, and uh, the instability inside both Guinea and Mali uh, is increasing, uh, even though these are mineral-rich countries, in particular Guinea, uh, which has the world's largest known uh, sources of bauxite as well as iron ore. They also have diamonds. Uh, they have gold. Uh, yet... Um, the, the people are extremely impoverished and underdeveloped. So this, this sets the stage for military interventions. The economic community of West African states, 15 countries that make up uh, the entire West Africa region, has sent two delegations to Guinea uh, to try to um, bring about um, the release of the uh, ousted president, Alpha Conde. The uh, military regime has rejected that. They've also rejected any type of timetable imposed uh, by ECOWAS. And uh, Mr. Uh, Dumbayi uh, has uh, had himself installed as president, as a military president. And they've also appointed a um, prime minister, a civilian interim prime minister, uh, Mr. Berogi. So the ECOWAS has not been able to do anything to reverse the coup, neither has the African Union. France and the United States, even though they have stated publicly that they oppose the uh, coup. Uh, obviously, they're not doing anything either uh, to restore civilian rule. Well, you know, it's uh, it's hard to have strong civilian rule when you have uh, the uh, former colonizers like France and the U.S. so heavily involved in African uh, countries. So, uh, Africom uh, started uh, at the end of George Bush's administration in 2008, and uh, uh, just for a little background for our uh, viewers, the United States has divided up the world into these military commands. There's a NORTHCOM and a SOUTHCOM and a INDOPACCOM, and I don't, I don't know which one I'm missing. There's EUROCOM and AFRICOM, the U.S. Africa Command, started in 2008, although it's headquartered in, in Germany. And the end result is the United States um, uh, overtly uh, controlling the militaries of most African uh, countries. 
And uh, we at the, um, uh, the Black Alliance for Peace for uh, the second year, we've launched an international month of action against the US Africa Command. Um, and folks should go to our uh, the website, Black Alliance for Peace website. And um, can you talk about um, uh, the support for, for these interventions in the US Congress? Uh, it seems to be bipartisan, that uh, no matter who the president is or who's running Congress, there's always support for these interventions which benefit um, the military industrial complex and their military bases all over Africa obviously don't help uh, the people there. So uh, can you talk about um, uh, how we here can uh, involve ourselves and be more aware of uh, how what Washington is doing in Africa with through AFRICOM and in other ways? Yes, uh, the same uh, imperialist policy, although there may be variations, uh, continues you know, throughout successive administrations, whether they're uh, Democratic or Republican. And we saw under the presidency of Barack Obama, a direct uh, U.S. military intervention in Libya and support uh, for the destabilization of uh, Ivory Coast, although France took the lead in that situation. That occurred 10 years ago in 2011. And uh, the destruction of Libya was the first uh, real project of the U.S. Africa Command. And uh, they uh, conducted tens of thousands of sorties. They uh, dropped well over uh, 10,000 uh, bombs on the country. Uh, they uh, spearheaded uh, the kidnapping and brutal assassination of uh, the former leader of Libya, uh, Colonel Muammar Gaddafi, members of his family, and tens of thousands of others uh, people in Libya, uh, not only Libyans, but also um, Africans uh, who, who were working in Libya, who were doing business there uh, from other African countries. And now uh, we see Libya as a uh, source of instability throughout North and West Africa. Just recently, uh, migrants were demanding uh, through the United Nations that they be uh, deported out of Libya uh, to what they describe as a more safe and stable country. Uh, even though there's a ceasefire, nominal ceasefire right now in Libya, and there's supposed to be elections coming up uh, in a few months, uh, doesn't seem as if the political differences uh, have been resolved in the country. And there are many, many uh, political differences. Other um, uh, aspects of AFCOM, AFRICOMs are present on the continent. Uh, in Djibouti, which is in the Horn of Africa, uh, they have a base at Camp Lemonet, uh, which uh, they share with France. Uh, and they have uh, several thousand troops based there. They're also involved in uh, drone operations, targeted assassinations, and other temporary bases and drone stations in various parts of the continent. We know in West Africa, uh, they're doing things in Niger and in other countries. Um, four Green Berets were killed uh, four years ago in Niger, and it was never clear what the circumstances were of their deaths. Uh, so all these things are going on, and uh, they almost never are discussed uh, within the halls of Congress. And uh, the type of um, leadership uh, that exists, uh, even within the Democratic Party, uh, has not, uh, in recent years, 
uh, had a pro-Africa, uh, anti-imperialist, anti-war uh, posture. Uh, you know, in the past, uh, there were people uh, like uh, Congressman uh, Charles Diggs Jr., who was from Detroit, uh, who uh, during the 1960s and 70s uh, did speak out against the uh, colonial regimes, the settler colonial uh, governments in Africa. There were people like Ron Dellums, who spearheaded the Anti-Apartheid Act of 1986, and others. Uh, so um, what we have now, uh, are people who fall in direct lockstep uh, with uh, the leadership of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And uh, if they want a particular uh, war scenario played out, uh, most of them uh, follow in lockstep. Um, Rashida Tlaib, uh, who is from the 13th district here in Detroit, mm -hmm. uh, did vote against the uh, military budget uh, that was put forward um, last year um, by the Congress, and she's the only Palestinian American in the entire uh, U.S. Congress. And of course, uh, she's been under attack uh, ruthlessly uh, ever since uh, she's been in office. So they have a, the, the whole foreign policy questions uh, under, under total control. It was quite interesting, um, even in regard to Afghanistan, how um, Many uh, liberal networks, for example, MSNBC and CNN, were actually criticizing Biden. Yes, they were. They were attacking for the way him in which, right. <laughs> for yeah. the way in which he withdrew from <laughs> Afghanistan, and then they even brought rehabilitated people like uh, John Bolton, yes, and H.H. Uh, McMaster as commentators to criticize Biden, you know, for well, not keeping uh, troops in Afghanistan. I mean, it's. It's, it's really that's, absurd. That's how, you, that's how you get to be on these networks. You have to be a general or a CIA or a yeah. NSA warmonger. But right. before I, I, I go to Danny, you mentioned several members of the Congressional Black Caucus, former mem members who yeah. have passed away now. But um, you are touching on the issue of uh, the, the CBC and it's... Uh, like the rest of American politics, it's increasing rightward shift. So you could count on uh, some of the folks that you mentioned and others to talk about U.S. Uh, foreign policy in uh, Africa and uh, to, um, to oppose these interventions. And now you have a CBC which goes along to get along, do we not? Yes, and um, a lot of them claim they really don't know uh, what's going on in these geopolitical regions. So uh, they have hired staff. Uh, they could hire people uh, to find out, you know, what's going on in Niger or Burkina Faso, Mali, Guinea, in the Horn of Africa, in Southern Africa. Uh, all these all these issues uh, could be uh, discussed and raised uh, in the halls of Congress, uh, but uh, it's just not being done uh, to my knowledge. And uh, it's unfortunate that uh, a lot of them do continue to vote uh, for these uh, really huge military budgets uh, when there are so many social needs that need to be met uh, here in the United States. I mean, 20 million people uh, lost their jobs last year as a result, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and its uh, subsequent economic uh, impact. Over 200,000 uh, small and medium-sized businesses have been closed uh, as a direct result of the pandemic. And uh, yet, uh, they can't agree on even a minimal infrastructure plan. Uh, 
uh, that could, as Biden says, build back better uh, the United States. Uh, so it's, it's an amazing situation, but I think it's very dangerous uh, for the ruling class itself uh, because uh, if they cannot make decisions and they can't work in a cohesive manner. And when even issues such as uh, vaccinations or the wearing of masks or social distances, distancing becomes heated, contentious uh, political issues, uh, then the country essentially uh, is being paralyzed, uh, you know, by its own uh, lack of uh, ideological and political uh, unity. Indeed, indeed. I, I want to talk a little bit about the way that Africa is portrayed by the United States ruling class, particularly through its two parties and its media apparatus, because the corporate media doesn't generally talk about issues uh, on the African continent. And when it does, it generally doesn't talk about the U.S.'s role there. And in particular, uh, there is, I think, a, a reality that's developing where the United States economically isn't really offering much to the African continent. Actually, trade volume is quite low uh, comparatively to, let's say, China, which has over $200 billion worth U.S. dollars worth of trade with the African continent. Uh, the United States is well below 100 billion. I think somewhere around 60, 70 billion. So, with that said, why is it that people in the United States, people in the West, they generally don't know about Africom? I, I mean, Black Alliance for Peace is doing all of this work to expose U.S. African Command about what it is and what it does, how important it is. You talked about Libya and all of the operations that it has been a part of. Uh, we know that thousands of special operations forces are deployed there. Tulsi Gabbard just tweeted that she was in the Horn of Africa participating in these special operations um, proudly, saying she was so happy to bring freedom against these jihadists there. But uh, the United States, is, uh, ever since it overthrew Libya and has expanded AFRICOM, it seems like this uh, problem of so-called quote-unquote terrorism, these insurgents that create chaos and instability, seems like that problem has increased. So it seems like Africa, in a lot of ways, the way it's talked about is it's talked in this war on terror narrative, but yet there's this bigger issue, I think, economically that you have been getting at, where Africa is actually, all of the countries within Africa combined have such immense wealth and resources that it's so important for the United States to have a foothold there. So could you talk about how Africa is portrayed in the U.S. media and what are some of the underlying interests that makes the United States' presence militarily so important for the U.S. ruling class? In general, it's not covered at all in any real sense. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the so-called war on terror uh, is often uh, the theme uh, which centers around uh, U.S. military involvement uh, in Africa. Uh, so there's not a general understanding of the political issues and the dynamic, social dynamics uh, that are going on uh, right now in 2021. And uh, it's not covered uh, even uh, by, you know, a lot of the, what passes as a left media in this country as well, not to mention the black media, uh, which used to cover Africa and international affairs extensively. Uh, if you go back and look at the archives of um, publications like the Atlanta uh, Daily World and uh, the Chicago Defender, they had uh, correspondence uh, through the Associated Negro Press, um, Claude Barnett's uh, group 
that covered uh, Africa, the Caribbean, Latin America. This was during the 1930s and the 1940s. Of course, the Cold War had a lot to do uh, with the shift uh, away uh, from discussing foreign policy because uh, under the Truman administration, uh, they made it clear that uh, groups like the NAACP uh, was not uh, to involve themselves in any real sense uh, in opposing U.S. foreign policy. And that's why people like uh, the late Dr. W.B. Du Bois, uh, his wife, Shirley Graham Du Bois, uh, were essentially purged uh, from the NAACP in 1948. And uh, of course, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, who is known as a heroic uh, liberal figure, uh, was of course uh, instrumental as a board member of the NAACP during that period uh, in preventing them uh, from uh, really opposing U.S. foreign policy and having a peace uh, orientation uh, towards Africa and other parts of the world. So yes, this is one of the main problems. And of course, uh, if you watch uh, CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, uh, it's almost nothing um, on Africa, even the Africa Channel. Uh, which is a uh, cable uh, network. A lot of the news, almost all the news uh, programs that they feature come from the Voice of America and the British Broadcasting Corporation. Now, with all the news agencies that are operation now on the African continent, you got the South African Broadcasting Corporation, you have the Zimbabwe Television Network, there's the Kenyan Television Network, you have uh, TV networks uh, in Ghana, uh, TVC in Nigeria, uh, Egypt, uh, they never, I mean, they could compile a program of, um, you know, various news reports that are put out uh, by these African news agencies. Um, you know, some of them are good, some of them are not so good. Uh, but uh, they, they choose rather uh, to, uh, you know, program uh, the VOA and the BBC. These are state-run, state-sponsored news agencies that promote Imperialism. I mean, they, they have useful information, uh, but very rarely <laughs> will they speak about uh, what the U.S. is actually doing domestically or internationally, uh, you know, in these broadcasts. So this is a major problem. So I think uh, the, the news agencies that are doing, doing the work uh, in terms of uh, covering African affairs uh, really need to be commended uh, during this time period because... Um, there's just a huge dearth of information. Now this, this absence of solid informa factual information uh, is a breeding ground uh, for uh, promoting war and other types of uh, intervention. Uh, if they can make a case that Al-Qaeda or ISIS is attempting to take over the country of Somalia, then many people will say, yes, uh, continue uh, to finance the military operations in those countries. Uh, just as they did in Afghanistan, just as, as they've done in Iraq and Syria and Yemen. In actuality, none of these countries uh, get adequate uh, press coverage in the mainstream media, uh, even in the public media uh, in the United States. Uh, Yemen, for example, they've been resisting this U.S.-backed war for six and a half years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there was no acknowledgement um, by the United States that uh, the Pentagon is heavily involved in these operations on a daily basis uh, being carried out by Saudi Arabia. Same thing in Syria. 
Why is the U.S. military in Syria? They haven't been invited there. No, no. the opposite. They're there. Yeah, they're there guarding the oil fields. Yeah. From who? I mean, they're not there. The stealing yeah. their resources. But I, I just wanted to just say, give you a plug that uh, uh, folks should read your uh, website, panafricannews.blogspot.com, the uh, Pan African News Wire, uh, and uh, get information about um, all of these uh, issues that uh, that you have discussed. Um, I, I want to give us a plug at Black Agenda Report, the late Glenn Ford. He was a leader in um, we Black Agenda Report, and Glenn was the driving force, had the best coverage on Libya. I mean, these corporate media giants with millions of dollars and reporters all over the world, none of them reported Libya accurately the way Black Agenda Report did, or Eritrea, or so many, uh, or the existence of AFRICOM itself. I remember when those Green Berets were killed that you mentioned, and there were members of Congress who said they didn't know the U.S. was in Niger. Yes. I actually believe that they were telling the truth, that they don't have um, that um, uh, information that you were uh, referring to. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say something about Glenn Ford. It was right, yes. quite interesting that um, the New York Times did an extensive obituary of Glenn Ford, you know, yes. recognizing him posthumously. Yes. Uh, and I was, and it was very complimentary. Um, I was surprised. Uh, obituary. I was astonished. I, was surprised. Me, <laughs> yeah. I, was I didn't even know about Glenn, um, you know, and his upbringing. And yeah. he had told me stuff about, you know, being in the military and you know, <laughs> other things. But uh, it was quite interesting that they would do that. So obviously they know what Black Agenda Report is doing. Yes. And they're yes, aware absolutely. of it, even though, even though they claim they don't recognize it. It was, it's very funny. <laughs> I was very nervous when they contacted me. I was very suspicious. Yeah. But anyway, it was... Uh, I was pleased with the outcome, but I yeah. also wanted to mention as a source of information and uh, uh, action and mobilization, Black Alliance for Peace. Um, um, uh, people should look blackallianceforpeace.com slash AFRICOM 2021. Um, and uh, they will find, uh, find more information about our, um, our month to talk about AFRICOM to keep it in the forefront uh, so that people can uh, uh, gain tools for information, for agitation, uh, for um, uh, lobbying. Our elected, we've talked about our elected officials. You talked about uh, one who's one of the few who voted uh, against um, our, uh, I shouldn't say our, but the military budget, which uh, as you point out, takes away from so many of our human needs, $750 billion, 60% um, of the discretionary budget. And it's why we don't have the things that we ought to have um, in, uh, in the uh, United uh, States. But you touched on some of the larger issues there too with the military industrial complex, but uh, uh, it's important for, uh, for us to um, make ourselves knowledgeable and to help other people become more knowledgeable because people want to know, especially black people, but not exclusively want to know what's going on in Africa. And, yeah. But you can't depend on the corporate media to get uh, good information. So um, no. blackalizeforpeace.com no. slash AFRICOM 2021. And, and I pulled it, pulled it up on the screen just now, actually. Thank you. That's, um, um, 
Yeah, in the month of action. Action or events and, and so forth. Go ahead. Yeah, you can, you know, you can definitely see the, actually, ch the event I just caught up with it, um, the first event uh, that yeah. occurred that Black Alliance for Peace did was, was incredible. A great webinar on U.S. African Command. They had so uh, many speakers from Guinea-Bissau. They had speakers from Kenya. Uh, you should definitely check it out and uh go to black alliance for peace on youtube but you can see there's a whole calendar here here's ours um <laughs> yes. us talking to abiyomi and there's there's more coming up and there's a lot of materials here that you can download to educate your community to educate in your organizations it, within if you're doing media to cover this issue so so definitely if you're on social media and that's what you do because that's what a lot of us are doing these days you can download social media uh, graphics so definitely check that out um but yeah biomi we have about five more minutes with you um i know that you are running on a tight schedule I think you have about 15 more is that am i correct yeah yeah that's fine yeah, yeah oh, okay okay um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Talk, let's talk about the role of racism then, because uh, we can't talk about Africa and U.S. militarization without talking about race and racism. Um, you know, a, a lot of conversation about Africa these days in the corporate media. If you go to like foreign policy, you go to uh, some of the major U.S. foreign policy oriented media and think tanks, they talk about Africa as being colonized by China, right? It's China's the new neo-colonial force in on the African continent. Uh, and they never mention, though, that the United States is is literally expanding its military apparatus across the continent, special operations, drone warfare, Africa, uh, uh, Africa, to, you know, uh, military relationships with all almost all of the countries except for Eritrea at this point through the U.S. Africa Command. Could you talk about the role of race in this framing of the issue of China and Africa? And also, could you talk about uh, maybe the relationship between the U.S. militarization of the continent and uh, the uh rivalry the ongoing tensions between the u.s and china yes in regard to racism in the united states it grew out of the uh, efforts to control uh north america and, and indeed the entire western hemisphere they came up with a rationale uh for not only seizing the land uh, of this hemisphere but also uh the extermination of the indigenous people and the enslavement of millions upon millions of Africans. And uh, that was done over a period of several centuries. And the remnants, remnants of that uh, still exist. You know, even after the uh, US Civil War and the illegal abolition of enslavement or involuntary servitude, uh, African people have been fighting a protracted struggle uh, for the last 156 years. Uh, the defeat of Reconstruction, the imposition of Jim Crow, uh, the rise of uh, imperialism in the modern sense of the term, where African people were uh, forced uh, to fight on behalf of uh, U.S. imperialism domestically uh, in terms of um, uh, units uh, such as the um, Buffalo Soldiers and the other scout regiments 
uh, that uh, recruited Africans and uh, used them against indigenous people and against Mexico. And then, of course, uh, in the modern period, we talk about after World War II, where we had the rise of the civil rights and black power movements. You know, all of the reforms uh, that were instituted uh, from the uh, 1950s with the desegregation of the U.S. military, the uh, ruling of the Supreme Court in 1954, ostensibly outlawing school uh, segregation, uh, the outlawing of uh, segregation in public accommodations, uh, the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1957, 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Housing uh, Fair Housing Act of 1968. Almost all of these gains have been overturned uh, by the uh, various decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, by uh, the U.S. government and by corporate uh, policies. Uh, so it's, a, it's an ongoing struggle. And we see today uh, in response to the defeat of uh, Donald Trump last year uh, in the elections, uh, many states are passing uh, even more restrictive uh, voting laws. And uh, they've been upheld in a recent decision uh, by the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court. Uh, so they have their, they, they still have plans of maintaining uh, apartheid in this country. And since people of color are rapidly uh, approaching parity, and it is estimated uh, within another uh, two to three decades combined, uh, African-Americans, uh, people of Latin American descent, Asian-American people, indigenous people, uh, people from um, uh, other Latin America, are going to constitute collectively a combined majority in the United States. Uh, so they have to eliminate even the minimal trappings of what we consider to be bourgeois democracy, the right to vote, uh, the right to have due process in the court systems, uh, and other things such as uh, you know, the right to jobs, decent jobs, the right to public transportation, which there are massive cuts that are going on right now across the United States uh, in the fields of uh, public transportation and public health amid a pandemic, uh, which has been um, the worst in more than a century. So race, race plays a factor in all of these issues. I mean, these are both racial as well as class issues, and uh, they cannot be obscured uh, by you know, class determinism or an exclusive uh, focus on race uh, as well. So yet yeah, the struggle against racism, as we saw last year, across the United States and indeed across the world is very much in evidence. And uh, it's going to escalate even more uh, in the coming months and years. Well, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad you tied the uh, domestic with the international. Um, we, can't have, we can't have a just society here when we have imperialism, when we have uh, more than 700 I believe it's close to 800 U.S. military bases around the world. When you have a U.S. Africa command, um, it's not possible to have all those things and to have a just society. And um, that's why it's important to learn about AFRICOM, to know what's happening, uh, uh, what the U.S. is doing around the world, because we literally cannot have nice things when... Um, when we are uh, under the, the thumb of the, uh, the military-industrial 
complex, which brings injustice around the, the rest of the world and ultimately brings uh, injustice home. Um, there is a 10, it's called the 1033 program, which brings military equipment, surplus military equipment from uh, the Defense Department to uh, local police forces. So little towns have uh, uh, these armored personnel carriers and uh, big cities, little towns, all of them. Uh, so the, uh, the wars abroad are literally brought home and we don't have uh, a choice. And I'm glad you mentioned um, uh, uh, the connections that uh, people have uh, traditionally, black people have traditionally had in uh, political activity and uh, being aware of, uh, of all these, um, uh, of these connections. So um, uh, that uh, uh, all these injustices, uh, the ones that the U.S. imposes on people in the rest of the world and uh, impose um, upon us uh, uh, here. Uh, Danny asked uh, about uh, China in Africa. Um, uh, China is, um, uh, if not, it's, a, it's about to become a bigger economy than the U.S. and that's why the U.S. is attacking it so much. But China yes. has quite a presence in Africa. And there's a lot of debate about whether it's um, uh, uh, the impact is positive or negative. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, China in Africa and how its presence differs from that of the U.S. and European uh, nations? Yeah, I think it depends on uh, what one's uh, views are in terms of the political and social character of the People's Republic of China. Uh, Many people who say, well, China is imposing a new form of colonialism or imperialism in Africa, but they don't say uh, that, uh, many of them don't say uh, that capitalism uh, has been restored in China. Some of them do say that. Uh, I don't believe that uh, personally, and I don't believe that uh, the economy in China would have grown as much as, as it has over the last uh, 70, 72 years uh, if it was guided uh, by capitalist uh, economic policies. Uh, so it largely depends on what one's worldview is in regard to China and other issues. And uh, the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, FOCAC, uh, was formed in 2000. And since then, they've hosted a series of conferences to enhance uh, economic, social, scientific, and political relations uh, with the African continent. And many of the projects initiated by China have been infrastructural projects that have built rail lines, rapid transit systems, hospitals, clinics, roads. These are the type of investments that Africa needs because as Walter Rodney and other scholars have written, Europe, including the United States as an extension of Europe, has underdeveloped Africa now for more than six centuries. Uh, so yes, uh, China uh, is a, a country uh, that has uh, experienced tremendous economic growth uh, between even between 1949 and 1979. And then after 1979, uh, it has experienced phenomenal economic growth. Uh, but yet the Communist Party uh, is still in power in China. They still constitute the uh, commanding uh, heights and administration of the national economy in China. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, most 
African scholars and governments uh, have a favorable opinion of uh, China-Africa relations. But of course, the United States, um, I recall Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State under Barack Obama, went to Africa and warned uh, African leaders to beware of China. I mean, who, <laughs> who, you know, is the United States who enslaved African people uh, for two and a half centuries and have oppressed them uh, for over four centuries uh, can point a finger at any other uh, government or geopolitical region. And they're still oppressing our people here in this country. Last year, exposed it even further to the world. Uh, the militarization of the police, mm -hmm. the deployment of federal troops and federal agents in cities all across the United States. Here in Detroit, uh, they sent federal agents uh, into the city uh, to try to disrupt uh, demonstrations. Uh, the former police chief who has since resigned um, hosted William Barr uh, and during the summer of 2020, flew him around in a helicopter uh, as part of the Operation Legends uh, project. The, the, the uh, U.S. attorney for the Eastern District admitted over the local uh, Fox television network that they were paying the salaries of at least three dozen uh, Detroit uh, Police Department offices. So we have a deep military and governmental and, and intelligence uh, as well, penetration of local police forces. And the call for the defunding and dismantling of the police has been met by fierce opposition from the ruling class to remove even a debate around that issue. Um, and uh, which they're, they're doing only to their own uh, detriment because uh, the police have long been exposed. Last year, even internationally, the situation was so bad that even the United Nations Human Rights Council held a hearing uh, at the aegis of uh, several governments in Africa, including uh, the Republic of Botswana, uh, at the United, in Geneva, at the UN uh, Human Rights Council, where uh, George Floyd's uh, brother spoke uh, at that uh, hearing. Uh, so the world knows uh, what uh, the U.S. is actually about. Yes, yes, indeed. You know, I know we only have uh, about a minute. I know you got to uh, run to another um, a another commitment at nine. So uh, I just wanted to thank you, uh, Abiyomi, for coming on uh, with us to talk about Africa and its connections, the militarization of Africa led by the United States and its connection to this worldwide struggle uh, against capitalism, against imperialism. Uh, could you tell our viewers where to find you? Uh, Margaret, I think me and you can stay on for another few minutes after Abiyomi leaves. But uh, Abiyomi, please let folks know where they can find your work. Uh, well, the they, can, they can read the uh, Pan-African Newswire blog, as you mentioned before, panafricannews.blogspot.com. I'm also on uh, Facebook under my name. I'm on Instagram. And I'm also on Twitter. Uh, at uh, PanAf uh, Newswire. Uh, I also do a uh, uh, twice a week uh, blog, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Uh, people can listen to that as well. It's hosted on numerous platforms. And uh, also uh, you can read my writings uh, in uh, the Pan-African Newswire as well as uh, News Ghana based in West Africa, uh, Fighting Words, uh, which is a uh, Detroit uh, base uh, socialist 
uh, online journal uh, that's sponsored uh, by the Communist Workers League. So yeah, you can read me on all those platforms as well as others. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And we'd love to have you back. There's a, I feel like we only scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's so as much. Yeah, as developments continue to roll onward and the struggle continues, we'll definitely be in touch with you, Abiyomi. Thanks so much. Thank you for the invitation. Peace. Yes, peace, peace, comrade. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, Margaret, that was a great conversation. Yeah, we can just stick around for maybe 10 more minutes. Are you good with that, Margaret? Sure. sure. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of folks have been coming on. You know, I want to encourage them to like the stream i know that there's a lot of other streams people are checking out so if you're just coming on make sure you rewind watch it from the beginning also send a like share uh and all of that good stuff so margaret i, I want to hear some of your thoughts about that conversation we just had because man i feel like with the african continent in this the, the just the subject itself i mean there's so much i feel feel that is lacking in terms of just general discourse, political mm -hmm. education and consciousness mm -hmm. about what's happening on such a massive in such a massive part of the world. So critical to the future of all of humanity, yet, as has been the case for centuries, uh, it seems to be still uh, languishing under this like heart of darkness, colonial framework of the only time it's worth speaking about Africa is when it is portrayed in a very negative chaotic manner free of the context of maybe those forces like the united states which are creating the chaos so so what are your thoughts about uh, about this whole well you know uh, it's issue? um we we're very indoctrinated you know americans don't like to acknowledge it but we're very indoctrinated we're indoctrinated by our government we're indoctrinated by corporate media so uh in 2011, when uh, Black Agenda Report pretty much stood alone in defending the Libyan government, in denouncing mm -hmm. the U.S. and NATO and their destruction of that uh, uh, country, uh, and when people see stories about the, um, uh, the migrant crisis in the Mediterranean, that was created by Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton when they destroyed uh, Libya and attempted to do the same to Syria. Um, but uh, uh, so what I was trying to get, sorry, I was about to go off on a little tangent there. Um, uh, so that lack of information and that propaganda that we're exposed to keeps people, um, uh, uh, frankly, ignorant of uh, much of the world, definitely ignorant about Africa. Uh, if you don't know this history as Black people, then... Uh, then it turns into uh, cynicism or even self-hatred. Uh, oh, Africa's a mess. They don't know what they're doing. If you don't talk about the theft of resources, the interventions. Uh, Iomi talked about uh, Guinea uh, being a socialist nation and uh, yes. how it was undermined. So yes. I think it's, it's really crucial that um, that we continue this work and uh, amplify voices like um, like Abayomi's so that uh, we have this information to mm -hmm. keep us from uh, to keep us from uh, uh, supporting things we shouldn't support and uh, prevent us from uh, knowing the truth about uh, situations in Africa and around the world. 
Yes, and Abiyomi gave us an incredible history of the the revolutionary struggle in Africa because we never hear about that, right? We always think the African continent, I think, in this modern period, in this period of uh, U.S. hegemony and the decline of the U.S. empire, the African continent tends to, to only come to mind when we're talking about these very narrow issues like let's say Al-Shabaab in Somalia or what happened in Niger a few years ago, where you get these little kernels of some of the immense problems that uh, African states are facing. But you never hear what Abiyomi talked about. He said, go read Class Struggle in Africa by Kwame Nkrumah. Actually happens to be one of my favorite books because it is such an important, very brief study on the situation on the African continent in this fledging period, the 1960s, the early 1960s, this period of revolutionary struggle, the independence movements, the national liberation movements. He mentioned some of them, Ahmed Sekou Touré mm -hmm. in Guinea, uh, the PAIGC, Amirko Cabral's party in Guinea-Bissau. Uh, we can talk about Mozambique and Free Limo. You know, there's so such this rich history, but there's also now this period of a reaction and retrenchment and uh, AFRICOM is a big part of that. The U.S. Africa Command is really all about keeping African states compliant to the United States and the Western world because the U.S. Africa Command is, as Abayomi said, working with the French military. It's working with uh, all of the forces, both domestic and foreign, that are operating in Africa, except China, of course, <laughs> uh, working with all of these countries to... Uh, essentially keep the continent divided, right? That was a big part of Libya, right? Muammar Gaddafi had this idea, this incredible idea to revive the spirit of African unity, Pan-Africanism, to have a single currency for the African continent, a single military mm -hmm. that was actually uh, indebted to the interests of African people, no matter what state they lived in. And then what did the United States do? They sodomized him. They assassinated him. They killed him because uh, the United States did not want to see that kind of example. I mean, imagine the immense wealth of Africa in the hands of African people. It hasn't been the case for several centuries. No, no. It's like every every resource, every mineral you could name. You mentioned bauxite and Guinea diamonds, all in many different countries, gold, um, uh, all copper, any anything you can uh, think of that. Uh, the world needs the coltan that it helps mm -hmm. us uh, use our our computers and our uh, electronic devices that mm -hmm. are uh, yep. that was the cause of so much bloodshed in Congo, which was a result of the U.S. backing Uganda to invade Congo, yes. and, and uh, many millions of uh, I believe it was six million people died. Um, so uh, yes, it's 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 very important. I'm glad we had this uh, opportunity to um, uh, to lend uh, something to uh, this discussion. But uh, um, uh, the the revolutionary example is one that has to be remembered. That um, uh, Africans always struggled. They struggled against uh, European colonialism. There was always resistance. Always. And um, uh, independence movements were undermined. Uh, uh, one of the things I would, when we have him back, is talk about the, the French and how they control the currency of their uh, the former colonies and, and so on. 
So I think it's important to uh, know all of these things so that we're not, um, we're not fooled and uh, we don't fall for um, uh, some dismissive racist narrative. Sorry. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and to speak from the side of, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, Black people needing to know about Africa, needing to know about these connections. But there is also just a gap generally on the left, too, in the United States where, I mean, I haven't heard anybody. I mean, some, I know the Gray Zone has done some good stuff on Guinea, and there have been some pieces published there about the militarization of Africa, Nigeria, for example. But other than that, I mean, I haven't seen hardly any coverage of the uh, African continent affairs there. I think uh, Breakthrough News has done some things on it. But it's such a tiny minority of the overall po left, po the, the political left, those forces who are left of the Democratic Party, right? We've had this uh, movement for certain domestic political and economic agenda items that are very important, right? Healthcare, education, housing, all of that. But foreign policy, of course, is a huge gap overall. In Africa in particular, tends to be the most marginalized and kind of ignored topic for, uh, you know, whatever reason, whether it's just based on ignorance or a literal willful, um, you know, uh, act actions of just ignoring it altogether. And I think it just shows, and this is why we at Black Agenda Report talk about race and why I asked Abayomi about race, it shows <laughs> that when Black people in particular, or even just this, this concept of Africa, the people of Africa, the, 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 the struggle for liberation Africa, when that is on the table, most people in our part of the world, the United States, they want they to keep it away from them. They want to keep it out of their minds. They want to keep it out of their consciousness. The media helps. The politicians help. But I also think that there is this long-standing educational process we get here where um, most people can't even locate the vast majority. I mean, people can't locate China, DPRK, those countries. They definitely can't lay. Ask anyone where Somalia is, Eritrea, Ethiopia. Ask them. Well, I mean, ask them where South Africa is, and maybe they'll get that right. They'll be able to point. They'll be able to point to the tip. But you know, uh, other than that, most people don't know where anything is located no, on the African. No, no, it's a, it's this terrible feedback loop. So you don't get the information. Or as uh, Abayomi pointed out, you uh, get so-called African news, which is this VOA and BBC. So people... The, the CIA, yeah, the yeah, CIA think, think version. They know something, uh, think they're being informed when, in, in fact, they're just being indoctrinated with, uh, with nonsense. Um, but that's why it's important for people to, to support us and we thank our viewers and um, mm -hmm. uh, to read Black Agenda Report. Uh, blacklinesforpeace.com slash AFRICOM2021 to mm -hmm. find out how uh, you can take part in the effort to end AFRICOM and this uh, the great uh, uh, political education effort that is needed uh, in order to, um, to end, end so many of this uh, criminality that the, the U.S. brings around the world and that inevitably impacts us at home. Indeed, indeed. I, so I've linked that in the chat again. Um, so, but you could, of course, just head over to blackallianceforpeace.com. Um, it is on the front 
page of the website. It is right there for you to see. Uh, so please do uh, make sure that you check out the work that Black Alliance for Peace is doing on this month of action um, in, to call for the U.S., the complete U.S. withdrawal of all U.S. Africa Command Forces from the continent. But with that said, we're running a little bit over tonight. Um, you know, it's been really good to be with all of you. Um, and yeah, we will be uh, back with you soon. Make sure that uh, those who have just got gotten here, make sure that you go back, watch the whole interview. Abiyomi, concise to the point. He really uh, knows his stuff about uh, one of the richest and wealthiest places on earth, and that's Africa and uh, one of the most resilient and, and, and fierce uh, resistance movements uh, that have come out of Africa. So, so please do check it out in full. Uh, Margaret, do you have any last words before we head out? That's it. Uh, good night, everybody. Uh, stay tuned. We'll, we'll have more uh, for you shortly. And tomorrow's Wednesday is Black Agenda Report Day, blackagendareport.com. Thank you all. Yes, yes, yes. Take care, everyone. Peace, peace, peace. Peace. <laughs>